1: But with this you can wear pajamas and uh you feel just as comfortable you just got to put a suit on. believe
0: it or not <laughs> I, I am i am wearing pants today but my shirt all right nice, i, nice. I have tucked my shirt but i've got no belt and i'm wearing flip-flops listen wearing I'm,
1: I'm i'm wearing i'm wearing these to uh, sweatpants I'm not <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back to Growth Minds. We are here with the one and only Dave Rubin of The Rubin Report and his new book uh, as an author of Don't Burn This Book, Thinking for Yourself in an Age of Unreason. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
0: It's good to be with you. I was just telling you before we started, I basically, my whole life has sort of uh, existed in this chair for the last three weeks. I've done Hundreds. I don't know how. Maybe 400 interviews or something crazy like that. And uh, as long as I've got coffee and I got water and they let me pee every couple hours, we're okay.
1: Well, no kidding. I mean, not a bad seat to be in because let me tell you, the background and the setting that you have there with the audio quality is about a hundred times better than any of these billion-dollar corporations that have these, <laughs> main, you know, on these mainstream networks. I don't know what these guys are doing, but these. Is I don't know if they're trying to be raw at this point now. This is like their way of trying to relate more by having a you know home studio setup, I guess. But uh, you're definitely blowing them out of the waters with that setting.
0: Well, we were a little ahead of the game, I think, on the home studio thing. You know, I my whole career has been sort of a quest for true independence, which is pretty much where I'm at right now. I have no boss. Every decision that my company makes goes through me, for better or worse, and in many ways. The Not the last, but I would say the second to last unhooking of being associated or having a boss or being controlled by anybody was was doing the home studio thing, because obviously I've worked at a couple networks before where you have bosses. Um, and then I rented studio space, but b- buying this house, and this is my garage. Uh, we built, you know, you can't see it, but we've got a you know full-on pro lighting grid, 15 foot high ceilings. One of the bedrooms over there is a control room, so my guys, although they're all working remote, usually work in there one of the bedrooms became the green room so when we have guests come in they can get in makeup and you know chill out in there and relax and all that stuff so we have we have a full television operation here so as we've watched as we've watched cnn and everybody else now broadcast from their bedrooms and their kitchens uh we definitely have a leg up on people
1: that's beautiful is that something you wanted like a home studio something where you can just go a couple steps from your house from your room and just be able to record whatever you want talk about your opinions share your thoughts
0: my bedroom is about ten feet that way. So, no way, uh, okay. it, it, it <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sweet. I mean, I usually I usually do shower before the show, put in a little hairspray and get going. But it wasn't that I had planned to have the home studio per se, but over the last couple of years, you know, I started uh, I was first on Sirius XM for a while, radio in New York, and then I was on the Young Turks Network, and then I was on Aura TV, which is a digital network. Then I went independent, we rented studio space for a while, and as each step kind of move forward, I kept thinking, what are the other pieces that are not leaving me totally free? So another step that I had to make was, um, you know, I was on Patreon for a while. And then I thought, well, they're just a big platform that I'm using as a payment processor. But can I build a payment processor for myself? And then we built a payment processor for ourselves. Now we started this other company called Locals.com, where we're, we're building digital homes for creators. So you can own and control and make money, monetize all of your stuff. Uh, without big tech in the way. So really right now, I'm I'm as free as anyone that that is doing anything like this. I, I've got nobody between me and my audience, which is a pretty beautiful thing. And then, yeah, having the home studio, I can do what I want when I want, which is really nice. So, you know, if something, if it turns out that, you know, a big guest happens to be coming through LA where I'm based, it's like, yeah, we can flip on the lights and make it happen. Or if, you know, something happens at I wake up usually pretty early, about 7 a.m. If I look on Twitter and something's going down and I want to do a live stream, we can make that happen pretty quick, too. So, uh, you know, it's just the changing of everything right now. We're, we're watching, especially with coronavirus, we're watching industries and institutions collapse and, and new ones will be built out of the wreckage.
1: Beauty. Well, the best thing about the home studios, I know you've seen your shows and you, you do have like the third screen where you have both guests on, but with this you can wear pajamas and uh, you feel just as comfortable. You just got to put a suit on. Believe
0: it or not, <laughs> I, I am I am wearing pants today, but my shirt. Right, nice, I, nice. I have tucked my shirt, but I've got no belt. and I'm wearing flip flops. Listen, I'm
1: I'm I'm wearing I'm wearing, I'm wearing these uh, sweatpants. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> but flip flops is uh is a good upgrade. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you get to do it your way, and you know people find it funny. I do a lot of Fox News hits. From here and I'll wear shorts times, and I'll take a picture right before, or I'll have my dog on my lap, or something like that. And, and in many ways, that does take a little of the veneer off of cable news. You know, everyone thinks it's such like this like slick, buttoned up thing, and yet and then there's all these YouTubers like you and, and podcasters that are just doing cool things from home. And I like to I feel like I'm like right in between those things. Like I can do the slicked up version and put on the jacket. And all that. And then I can do the the other version. Sometimes when I'm doing uh, live streams, I, just, I have a backwards hat and a T-shirt on, you know, it's just kind of mm. whatever I'm kind of doing at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm a, you know, I'm fluid in politics or anything like that. But just because I've tried to get into a lot of these mainstream networks, and I particularly love your show. I've, I've, I've watched your episodes. I've watched some of the, some of the uh, great guests that you've had on from all different kinds of fields. And I enjoy watching it, I got to say, because there just doesn't seem, it just seems more natural, right? There doesn't seem to be this fake agenda that you tend to see on these different networks. And it's there's more of a relatability. That's kind of the beauty of long form, beauty of these podcasts where you can really get to know someone. And people have the space to be able to explain themselves. And yeah, I got to say, it's um, it's really helped me. I'm sure you've opened up millions of people into understanding more about helping them think for themselves and helping them, you know, really understand what's going on around the world. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you on because what the hell is going on around the world, Dave Rubin?
0: <laughs> I can try to clean up some of that. I mean, just quickly on the interview side. I mean, I really, my, you know, the secret if there's a secret is I'm not trying to get anybody. That really is it. I, I sit down with whoever I'm sitting down with that week and i treat everybody exactly the same i have never treated any guest differently there have been guests where i thought oh well this person's particularly controversial about this specific thing so i have to i have to go in that direction a little bit or this person i need to know a little bit more about a you know chronology of events or specific Things that they've said or done. Sometimes I just kind of leave it wide open. If it's a comedian, I usually just like let them sit. And, you know, comedians, you just wind them up and you just kind of let them go for an hour. Um, but I think really the secret is I'm not really judging these people. I'm, I'm asking what I think the right question is. I, you know, I do obviously have some prepackaged questions, but, you know, as I often say at the end of an interview, if I don't look down once, I consider that a good interview. If I can just sit across from somebody and do this and not have to return to the notes because there was a lull, if I can just take the conversation where it's nat- naturally going. Basically, I would consider it something like, uh, you know, when, when kids are bowling, they've got those like bumper lanes so that it doesn't go in the gutter. Yeah. I would say it's something like that. Like I'm providing those lanes and then there's a lot to talk about in that spot. And I'm just trying to make sure that the conversation doesn't go totally off the rails. As for where the world is at at the moment, um, well, it's a little screwy. Uh, you told me right before you started that you normally live in LA and you're you're up in Vancouver now. I mean, Look, L.A. and California are in a particularly weird spot. We're now told that we're going to be in lockdown through August 1st. They don't tell us why. They don't tell us why we can't go to the beach. They don't tell us why I can't have friends over. Most, most of my friends are roughly my age. I'm, I'm 43. How old are you? You're, you're in your 20s?
1: 27, yeah.
0: What? 27, right. It's like you're perfectly healthy. It's like if you were here in L.A. right now, why couldn't we do this in, in, in real life? I mean, why, why would that decision to adults— making a decision, I would say to you, well, all right, have you been out? Have you been sick? You know, what have you been doing? And if, if you would ask me the same things and we could then sit down and have a conversation. We seem to have outsourced a lot of our decision making to people that would just love to control us. And that that's a very dangerous thing. And you know from my show, I, the things that I talk about usually about freedom and liberty and individual choice, those are the things that seemingly are being stripped away from us right now. And it's happening across the country But there are some states like Texas and Dallas, uh, sorry, Texas and Florida specifically, that are figuring out mature ways to open up and saying to people, all right, you got to get back to work. You got to be able to live your lives, put some food on the table for your kids, all of those things. And now that doesn't mean it's not going to come without any risk. We might find out in a few weeks that there's going to be some spikes because not everybody is going to socially distance properly or, you know, someone will come be out and about and get you know, maybe potentially get sick and bring it home to an older relative. But all of that, I would rather deal with that related to how you want to go ahead and live your life. And it's going to be a little bit messy. And they're going to be little spikes, rather than just saying, okay, the government told us to stay at home all the time. So we're just going to stay at home all the time. This is not how humans are supposed to live.
1: No, they're not. They're not. And I can see people going, back shit crazy and people are threatening to leave california i know you're one of the people that are trying to decide whether you should fight this battle or whether you should you know just go that's kind of one of the beauties of of america right and um texas is certainly one of them florida is certainly one of them of of one of the states that are trying to really be on the other side of this you know california is probably the most extreme i think that we've seen right now although it seems like it's not been hit that hard compared to new york and some of these other states um but what is one to do to to fight a battle like this against you know a a state government
0: well it's a great question because uh you already alluded to this but the ability to move from state to state to use the foot vote the idea that okay if you don't like it in one state you can go to a state that's more congruent with your ideas where you have a better chance of flourishing, that's, that's better for you and your family. That's a really beautiful thing. Many countries don't have this. Many countries have basically federal governments that pretty much decide everything. We came up with this incredible, or I should say our founders came up with this incredible uh, concept of federalism where the states could decide what they wanted to do with taxes and education, and in modern day, uh, legalizing marijuana, a whole series of other things, and that way, Uh, as Dennis Prager puts it, it, America is in a constant experimental stage. We can see when one state does one thing. High taxes, well, then we usually find out that drives out business. Uh, We can sometimes find that if you have really low taxes, well, then you don't have enough money to go to schools. So that might be a problem. But we're constantly tinkering with it. And what I'm finding right now is that you know, for a guy that believes in limited government, that believes in low taxes, I want you to keep as much of your money as possible. Everyone listening to your show, I want them to keep as much of their money. I don't think the government needs it. Nobody knows where the money goes. We just make up numbers all the time. I think right now we're, we're in crisis. How about instead of big stimuluses, we just started giving people back their money in the first place, not giving them back. We let them keep it in the first place. I, I, I would love that. And the irony of course is that Right now, the places that are thriving, Florida and Texas, as we mentioned, guess how much state income tax they have? Zero. The places that are struggling the most, guess what their income tax rate is? Well, here in California, it's 13%, and in New York, it's 8%. Uh, and we're struggling, and our answers seem to be more big government, and we have huge debts. We have huge, huge, huge debts in New York and California. Uh, Florida and Texas have balanced budgets. so. A lot of this comes down to people just not really understanding what freedom is, not really understanding that if you earn money, it's your money. Uh, And just because the government says we want to take a whole bunch of it to do whatever it is we might want to do doesn't mean that it's right or just or that they're going to do anything good with it. Um, So the rubber is meeting the road, I would say, for a lot of people right now. So I'm really caught in between that, that idea of do I just go to Texas now and And start my operation again, and And I can do it. We can do it. Um, or do you stay and fight? And I'm not really sure what the answer is. I, I love l a. you know the weather, you know, the, I mean it's eighty five and sunny every day. It's perfect yeah, here. Beautiful. there's a really nice lifestyle with the beach. We can't even go to the beach at the moment, but there's a nice lifestyle in SoCal. Um, but I'm willing to pay the thirteen percent taxes in normal times. But if you're going to keep me in lockdown forever, well, then Texas starts looking good. And the counter argument is, no, you, if you love a place, and especially if your roots are here, my roots are originally from New York, but if your roots are here, you dig in and try to save it. And maybe, just maybe, as crazy lefty blue as as California is, maybe a lot of people are being red-pilled right now. A lot of people are going, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why are the governments keeping us locked in? Why aren't they letting us work? And maybe they will actually start voting out some of these people. So I'm, I'm truly not sure what I'm going to do.
1: Did you see uh, Elon Musk's Tweet about the red pill? Is that what you're referring to right now?
0: Yeah. Well, he did something interesting with that tweet because, you know, he said, well, it was take the red pill, right? Yeah. That's what he wrote. Yeah. He wrote take the red pill, but then he put the rose next to it, the rose emoji. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the rose emoji is very uh, associated with the democratic socialists and the communists and, and that whole crew. So it's an odd thing to do because usually when people say take the red pill, they're saying you know wake up to the fact that the system isn't exactly in it for you I find that if you if you believe in the ideas of socialism and collectivism and all these things well you you then want the system to have power. Um, I believe you, you either want the system to have power or don't want the system to have power. Basically I would say you're an authoritarian or a libertarian that doesn't mean you're a libertarian party member but you either believe that individual people can kind of figure out what's right for them and their families and their communities and then you build a sort of bottom up system, or you're an authoritarian meeting, you believe that somehow there's this like central planning idea uh, that is better than all of us and knows how we can live. So it was an odd thing for him to say, because usually take the red pill is, oh, let's get rid of the system because you should live freely. But then he associated it with the rose. So I'm not he's a little bit of a troll, too. I'd love to talk to him about it yeah uh, we shall see but but he's got the right either way whether the troll whether the the rose thing was just a troll or whatever it was his inclination to be fighting California right now and threatening to get Tesla out of here and the rest of it those are all good inclinations I think
1: yeah I mean i I've read somewhere that what he was referring to well people have speculations about this obviously because it could you're talking about you know the red pill being the Republicans and the in the blue pill being the Democrats but Uh, Some people refer to like the Matrix reference where I think the red pill is talking about kind of staying in into this like dimension that they're they're in, whereas the blue pill is escaping it. Uh, No, no.
0: Reverse that. Is it reverse? Yeah. Red pill means you're going to see reality as it is, not as you want it to be. And blue pill means you're just going to coast along life without ever seeing it. So that's why Neo takes the red pill. He chooses to live the harder life. So that's usually the connotation that people mean with with red pill. Uh, that's why I'm saying it's a little confusing what he did because then to put the socialist flower in it, the implication is, oh, well, you are okay with big government stuff too. It was it was a little bizarre, but he might have just been kind of punking everybody. but but broadly speaking, I think the more people that take the red pill, meaning see reality for what it is, just because government, big government exists and high taxes exist and all of this stuff exists doesn't mean it's the right thing sometimes you got to take that red pill and it's going to be a little scary because once you once you realize that the system may be, may not be totally in it for your best interest well then it's on you and that is a little scarier
1: it is it is and it's it's, it's fortunate right because you know california and new york are one of the probably the most populated places and it's you got LA and New York, which is for millennials generally. It's it's like the two places that you want to go to, right? If you're in tech, I guess it's an SF. And unfortunately, it has been hit the hardest because of the fact that there is so much demand there and there's so much people that are you know you know congregated there, and it's the two places where I guess it's it's being uh, run by the the states that don't really know what they're doing in many ways, and um, it's it's a, it's a really unfortunate place, but. I guess I'm curious to know your thoughts about, you know, how, how do we get to this place? Why are certain states running it better? And why are certain states not really performing as well?
0: I can give you a very red pill answer to this, which is that generally speaking, if you get out of people's lives, I think people know how to live their lives for themselves. I'm pretty sure that you know how to live your best life for yourself far better than I could ever tell you how to do it. That doesn't mean you're doing it. All the time, right like we all have moments in life where we're living our best life we're doing the right thing we're, we're uh, finding work that gives us purpose and we're thriving and making the right decisions and then we all have times where we make bad decisions and we do stupid things and we make mistakes and lie and all this kind of stuff but I believe that it is it is up to the individual first so it's not a coincidence that the states that are are red which you know in effect that means these are Republican conservative states. The Republican—I don't want to say Republican—the the ideology on the right, generally, if we look at things from a right-left perspective, if you're on the right, usually what that means is you believe in individual rights, so everyone should be treated the same under the law, regardless of their skin color, gender, sexual orientation, the rest of it, and then you believe in the light touch of government, and then we can always debate where what that means. You know, some people are a little more big government, some people are a little less. So, you know, many libertarians basically want no government. I would say classical liberals conservatives maybe a little bit more but that's a good place to have a debate on the left there doesn't seem to be sort of like a unifying principle so individual rights and believing in the constitution that strikes me as a pretty strong unifying principle it doesn't mean that they do it right all the time but that is a pretty good bedrock to build your society off of on the left these days especially with the rise of the democratic socialists, but even watching the traditional democratic party collapse and you know they're handing this thing to biden and the guys obviously got cognitive problems it's like i don't know what their unifying principle is other than they all like government every answer is about government and then the next guy comes along and says no more government more government so bernie says 15 dollar minimum wage and then rashida talib says 20 dollar minimum wage and then it's like well why not 30 why not 50 and the and the reason that they do that is they've somehow equated big government with morality that that somehow is inherently good so the more you're for that thing the more good you are I actually completely think that's the reverse. You have no right to take other people's stuff. They've somehow tricked everybody into thinking that socialism, which is about just taking other people's stuff and giving it to who you wanna give it to, that that somehow is righteous. Uh, in in any normal situation, if you were a kid and you took some of your friend's stuff and then your mom caught you or your dad caught you, they would tell you, no, you can't do that. That's stealing, uh, that is not moral. So their, their great trick is to trick us to think that um, that taking other stuff is a morally virtuous uh, move. And it it just is not.
1: Yeah. I mean, particularly when the situation that we're in right now with, with California and all these States making these individual decisions, it, it seems a little misaligned, right? Because a lot of the people that are in the top of the ranks that are making these decisions, number one, most of them are pretty old, right? These are the people that are going to be most affected. Um, they're still getting paid, so it's not like they're they're the ones that are out of a job. Maybe they're getting even paid more in these kind of circumstances, and it's not really. Um, it, it seems like it's it's a very self serving process, like that people can't really understand. They're not really willing to take the risk because what what are they risking, right? By extending this thing, uh, most of their friends and the people that they're getting advice from, they're the ones that are probably going to be. At most risk, but they're not really thinking about the people that are younger, that are healthy, that are able to sustain themselves, and and really need to provide for their families. So, I understand the other side of the argument, right? We, we they, they don't they've seen historical evidence of people, states or countries that are reopening too quickly, uh, that could you know cause another second wave of what's happening with Corona. Uh, but I just don't see that there is. A lot of transparency and it seems like there's a lack of uh there's a misalignment of incentives given that it's it's really these people that are small group of people that are making decisions for for everyone
0: yeah well you hit up a whole bunch of stuff there i would say the misalignment is is right and the idea that just because they were elected in that they know what is right in the middle of a pandemic is kind of crazy. I don't know what qualifies Gavin Newsom. Let's not forget, two months ago, they were telling us the whole idea was to flatten the curve. Well, not only did we flatten the curve, we did it way faster and more effectively than anyone thought. There are no overrun hospitals in the United States. We're not having mass medical emergencies. There are older people dying of COVID. That is true. And older people die of all sorts of things. And the rates do seem a little bit higher, but that's not an excuse to keep us all living like we're hamsters in a cage for the rest of our lives. I I would use uh, like just a a simple sort of fictitious example. So let's pretend tomorrow they said, you know what, we've completely lost control of this thing. And 5% of the population is going to die. Now this is completely fictitious. And 5% is way higher than anyone is predicting, right? But let's say that's what it was at. We would all individually have to make choices as to how you would wanna go about living your life. If you were a 75-year-old person with uh, a respiratory condition, you would have to make sure that you are keeping your house as clean as possible, you're not letting other people in, all of those things. But as a young person, I think most young people would be willing to take the risk to get out there, and I, that's what life is. Life is about risk. The idea that, oh, we're not gonna open up until we have a cure or until we have a perfect antidote, there's no, there's, we don't have a cure for the common cold. People get colds, people get colds, it happens, it's okay. Uh, people still get the flu, right? We don't have a perfect cure for the flu, so the idea that we have these perfect cures and that we can we can only go back to life when when there's zero risk, there's risk every day. You walk out your front door, you get hit by a car. There is risk every day.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And you got to wonder if this keeps continuing to extend. You know, how far are people really willing to stand this? And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are silent right now because, you know, obviously they're living in blue states. Um, I, I, yeah, you got to wonder, like, how far are really are people really willing to go? Uh, to just stay at home and, and stay quarantined. It's really not the way we're supposed to live.
0: I mean, I can tell you from my little LA experience here, you know, w- when I walk around, you know, a lot of people recognize me and people will come up, even though I live in LA, you know, blue lefty heaven or hell, whatever it is. A lot of people come up to me now and they'll go, Dave, saw you on Fox News last night. And they're kind of nodding at me. And it's like, kind of wink, wink, you know what I mean? Like, and but they don't want to say, to say anything, is, right?
1: They don't they don't want they to they they're making wanna, sure no one's yeah. around.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope no don't tell don't tell the other neighbors I saw you. But like it's some it's something like that that I am starting to see happen. So if it that's what I think the silver lining thing is is that we've done a lot of things wrong in California and LA with high taxes and big government and all of these things. But if the average Californian now who has been locked in their house for 2 months, the average guy in LA If you're suddenly going, no one I know is sick, there's not one video of an overrun hospital, not one in the country. We have thousands of hospitals in this country. If they have chosen to do this to us without giving us good explanation, maybe this will be the mass red pilling, let's say, of the the blue states, and they will, not to say that they all should become sort of massive Republican strongholds and only hold conservative ideals, but more so to just say, hey, government, you shouldn't have this much control over me. I'm not commenting specifically on whether everyone has to be pro-choice or pro-life or whatever. I'm happy to get into that if you want. But the basic idea of what freedom and liberty is, maybe that's starting to actually take root in some of these blue places. I think it's possible. That's the part that would make me want to stay and fight. The mm. other part, just the other part's like, all right, let me go to Texas.
1: Yeah. Did you hear there was a video that went viral? I don't I, I know. It was one of these like big reputable, I don't, I don't think it was from uh, WHO, but it was one of these organizations that put up a viral video on social media and they put a, a collage of all of these things that are happening with, with Corona, people like sending video messages. Uh, and it was supposed to be around the US, but I think they used a video uh, of a hospital that was in Russia. Or something like that where it's it's I, significant. I, there was
0: one that i there was one that i saw that was in italy where cbs it played might have been a, italy a, yeah yeah we might be talking about two different things but i did see one that was italy where the cbs news played a clip and they the implication was that it was in new york and they're showing this this hospital you know and, and italy had a severe case right at the beginning and it turned out to be italy and it's like well that's a whole other topic about how the mainstream media has failed us in the midst of this stuff but you know there, there's profit in keeping us all panicked all the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think the the, the movement that you're you, you're starting, and a lot of different people are starting, is that um, you know it, it doesn't have to be necessarily left or right. But I think our brains as humans, we we've been wired to just kind of choose zero zero to one or black or white. And it seems like we're we're living. Maybe that's how our brains are wired. You know, I, I grew up as a as a Catholic when I was young and all I thought was, was either I have to go to Catholic church or Protestant church. There's no other options. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And, um, you know, now I'm more in, in, in deism, but you know, even in politics, it's, it's a democratic party or Republican party. And it's just the way our, our brains are wired, I guess. Like you kind of have to choose one or the other. And it, it's, it's you know, certainly now people are starting to wake that it's, it's not necessarily the case. Um, and you can have independent thoughts you can be nonpartisan you can uh, you know in, in yourself it's a uh, classical liberalism right
0: yeah i mean look i well i think classical liberalism is the is the sort of widest scope of weighing of weighing the issues of the day so if you the classical liberal lens really all that says is what i referenced before which is individual rights so everyone that is a that is a legal member of the united states of america i believe they deserve the exact same treatment under the law, period. Regardless of skin color, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of national origin, as long as they are you know, legally members of the United States, you get the exact same laws. The problem that the lefties have with that is that the lefties don't like what, lo- what life has done to people. So some people are born with more, some people are born rich. Some people are born poor. Some people are born with great physical attributes. Some people are born crack addicted. Some people are lucky in life. Some people make their luck. Some people are unlucky. What the left is always trying to do is take all of our immutable characteristics and say, oh, we should rejigger society so that these certain groups could be helped more. And, what, and that, that, that kind of sounds right. But then of course, to help certain groups, you have to punish other groups. So I, can, I mean, the very simple example of this is look what's happened at Harvard. Harvard actually punishes Asian students for being Asian. That is what I would call discrimination. So what are they doing? They felt that they had too many applicants that were qualified that were Asian. So they said, no, we want to help other minorities. Well, that kind of sounds right. Okay, we want to help minorities that, that we sort of think that's right. But then what that does is it may you have to now punish Asian students who have worked hard, cared about family and everything else so that you help somebody else. So why should a eighteen year old Asian kid who busted his butt, whose parents either were immigrants or maybe second or third generation immigrants who all busted their butt. It's not no one gave anything when when everyone came to America, whether you came from China or Ireland or Italy or Greece or Eastern Europe or whatever it is, you, it, the story is the same. Nobody got anything when they got here. Everyone's busting their butts when they're here. So there are certain communities that then, usually based on some sort of ethnic lines, that their priorities are a little bit different. So broadly speaking, Asian communities work really hard, care about education, care about family. So they've succeeded and, and socioeconomically succeed. It's the It's the beautiful American story. It's the story that we all want to share in, right? The idea that then you're gonna say to this kid, well, nobody gave your grandparents anything and they owned a convenience store and then your parents worked harder and maybe were the first ones college educated, but you guys have it too good, so now we're gonna punish you. Well, congratulations, you're just gonna set people up to hate each other based on race. So oddly, it's the anti-racists, the people that purport to be anti-racists, we wanna help these people who are actually injecting racism into society. This is a notion that we have to obliterate. It's a it's a terrible idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of people heard about that controversy, and I don't even know where it is in terms of um, whether it's been dismissed or it's it's been settled. No, or the,
0: the last I last I heard, the court said it's okay that Harvard's allowed to do what they want.
1: And and I think Harvard's case was that they because they want they have to meet some sort of like a diversity quota or something like that. But the way they dismissed. Asians from getting in is they deranked them from a personality factor so they had the grades yeah. they had the extracurricular activities but their argument was that you know at Harvard we want people that are completely dynamic so from a personality perspective a lot of asian americans they were they were you know they had a lower ranking because of that and it's just uh
0: it's called discrimination it's discrimination that's what it's called i mean we should call it what it's called you are saying to a certain group of people based on an ethnic background oh you played by the rules you did everything right but we view the world through an ethnic lens uh we the anti-racists view the world through an ethnic lens and now we're going to punish an 18 year old asian kid who doesn't deserve to be punished so This is also why social justice destroys every institution that it becomes part of. Harvard is crumbling. Uh, Higher ed is crumbling. And in many ways, it's crumbling directly because of this, quotas and these nonsensical things. I don't care what your skin color is. Can you do your job? Imagine, I have a small business here. Imagine if I'm looking at resumes, and then I'm like, well, you know, I really should hire a person of this color, or I better hire a queer person or something else. That would be prejudice. Yeah. I don't care. Let's show me your resume. Can you do the job? Do you work hard when I interview you? Do I like you? Do you seem like you're an honest, decent person? I'll hire you. So th- when I say that the anti-racists have become the racist, that really is true because they then they'll look at 10 resumes and go, OK, well, we got three white people. White people have had it too good. They've had it mm. too good. Let's get rid of them. Ah, Asian guy, probably too good too. Jew. Definitely too good. Let's move them out. And now we're going to pick out of these three. Well, congratulations. You, you're the racist. You're the bigot. You're the you're exercising prejudice, and the reason it will then destroy your company and all your institutions is then in many cases you will hire people who are less qualified. That's not to say that you can't be a, a an underserved minority uh, black or Latino, let's say, and not be qualified, of course you can. But if the guy hiring is going, oh, we're getting rid of a set of qualified people just because we're focusing on immutable characteristics, congratulations, we're going to have worse pilots, we're going to have worse doctors, or we're going to have worse academics and everything else. So it's a it's a really messed up, complex situation, because the second you start talking about this, people say you're racist, and it's like, no, I'm actually, th- I'm, I'm the anti-racist in this argument.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very confusing and and, and gray area because I mean it's a, there's a lot of lack of meritocracy there but you know I think um the, the problem the main problem with this is like I there at what point do you stop right because yeah like when you, you, people are paying hundreds now. of thousands yes you
0: stop now you stop well, now that's yeah, it so, done
1: well what I'm talking about is you know you go, people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to a prestigious school like Harvard and I'm trying to argue for the other side, which is like, yeah, listen, like I'm coming from, let's say uh, a different country. My parents are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars. Maybe I don't want to go to school with 100% of Asians, right? Because part of the college experience, part I mean, of the college go experience, another,
0: go to another college.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm saying the point is that, like right now, Harvard has about 10% Asian Americans, right? So why is that the quota? Why is, why is it 10%? do we go if we go to 11 percent is that too many Asians uh, why can't we go to 20% I understand that you can't have a hundred percent because you know maybe it's not going to create the full dynamic experience which is part of really a big part of what college is they can make that argument for sure. But why is it 10%? I mean,
0: I I guess they could make that argument. I, I don't buy that argument. If a school happens to be 100% Asian, or 100% black or something, if they were discriminating against people, if they were literally, if let's say a school was 100% Asian, and they were simply not letting in white people based on the color of their skin, well, then I would believe that that is discrimination. But I don't have an inherent problem. If 100% of the most qualified applicants happen to be asian i have no problem with the school being asian the same way i would have no problem with it being black or latino or anything else if the people who are qualified are qualified well there we could we can always i always think politics is best done done personal so what where where are your ancestors from your grandparents or your great-grandparents whatever it is south korea south korea okay so was it what do you know what generation came here
1: uh well i would be my parents came here and then I was, I was i was still born in korea so i came here when i was seven oh, from korea
0: okay so so all right so then you're a perfect example I'm, of I'm the, so I'm the not, person, yeah. right so it's not even that you are fourth generation your great grandparents busted their butts and blah 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 blah, blah where they're going to punish that guy now you're it's your parents were first generation so technically since you were born there you're a first generation american why would you, Harvard, if you were applying to get in, would punish you? That makes literally no sense. You're an immigrant. I suspect your parents probably worked really hard, probably still do right now. And you've obviously got a good head on your shoulders and you're doing something you love. That's freaking amazing. But but why should you be for a policy that would hurt you? It just doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's I, I it's a hard argument to make, right? And I'm surprised that you said Harvard won the case?
0: Yeah, I believe Harvard won the case.
1: And, and that yeah. was the case, right? It was the personality deranking? Yeah, it had
0: something to do with that, that, that they were ranking not just on uh, academic scores. Listen, it's up to Harvard can choose whatever qualifications it wants. I'm not, I'm not here telling Harvard that the government should be telling Harvard what they should be doing. I just think we should be calling out discrimination when we see it. And Harvard is supposed to be one of our elite institutions that then proliferates the world with the great thinkers and great ideas. But by the way, we're I mean, we actually are watching Harvard is going to be like one of the first ones to really collapse because there's just so much bad stuff going on there. And Jeffrey Epstein had a lot of connections over there. There's like a lot of weird stuff going on Mm. at Harvard. Um, But as an institution itself, as a private institution, it can do whatever it wants. But that doesn't mean we have to just sit quietly and pretend it's not happening. But I yeah. just don't like the idea that if you applied to Harvard, they would look at your resume and go, well, he's Asian, so it should be harder for him to get in. What? Yeah, I'm, I'm a first-generation immigrant. My, my, yeah, makes no sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hopefully my personality isn't going to be deranked there. but
0: <laughs> <laughs> You seem pretty friendly, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's going to be a very tough time in the next five years because why would anyone pay the same amount of money to sit at their home and watch a lecture at these institutions you can go to pretty much any website online and get the similar amount of education because a lot of these professors are putting out information online you know jordan peterson is obviously a professor himself and he's putting out a lot of the best content because he's not being censored by what a lot of these universities are needing him to say and right now you don't really get the social experience of being in a college so I just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, curious to know your thoughts on that.
0: Well, I do sense that the institutions will continue to crumble. I think the average kid who maybe was getting $20,000 into debt every year to go to one of these elite institutions, you're right. They can watch Jordan Peterson lectures uh, and learn about postmodernism. They can watch Brett Weinstein videos and learn about biology. I mean, there's a gajillion videos out there that they can learn. So learning will be back on you. Uh, I am concerned about the socialization part, but I'm concerned about that not only at the college level, I'm concerned about that at every level. You got six-year-olds that are spending all day on Zoom right now, that's a problem. You got 43-year-olds that my only communication with my parents and my brothers and sisters, everyone's back east, is all through FaceTime. We 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 are social creatures. We can't exist only through this digital thing, unless basically we're conceding that the matrix was real and is real right now, and that we're just the batteries for the digital world, which maybe we are. If you haven't watched The Matrix in a while, I would recommend watching it again. Uh, Maybe we are those things. But I sense all of these institutions are going to crumble. But at the college level, there is the issue about socialization. There's something about those formative years after you've you know, when you're just at the beginning of adulthood, where you're supposed to really start figuring out what your boundaries are, what type of people you want to be around, what, what your property is, you're in a big, you know, you're in a big dorm with other kids and like figuring out who can come into your room, like all of that stuff that's about figuring out the next steps to being an adulthood, I do think that has value at a college level. Um, and I am worried that we're going to lose that. As far as losing the pure academic part of it, as these things crumble, there's other ways around it there's and and you know what there'll probably be other ways to to make the socialization part happen too
1: yeah, yeah that's that's definitely um that's definitely going to be the case for sure I mean, speaking of Jordan Peterson, I understand well, how's he doing by the way I don't know if uh last time I spoke, um I heard he's obviously going through a pretty difficult time right now.
0: I don't yeah know so I can't publicly, get into but, anything I, I, yeah. yeah I can't get into anything that's not really public at the moment I saw him a couple months ago we we emailed in the last couple of days he's getting better you know he got hooked on antidepressants which he was by the way There's a little confusion. People seem to think that he was like secretly taking these things, and then it just got worse. He was open about it. He would talk about it at the events we would do. He would talk about being on a small amount of benzos. We were on the tour, and he got a call. I was with him at lunch that his wife had what they thought at the time was terminal cancer. He continued throughout the tour. She continued through much of the tour with us. Uh, And then at some point, he started upping his dosage as things got more and more bleak for his wife, and he did get hooked. Uh, and one of the weird things that happens with, uh, these benzos is that you, they can have almost a reverse reaction. So you're taking them for anti-anxiety, but you basically like pass a threshold where then suddenly you're getting more anxiety. And that's, that's what happened to him, but he is getting better. He's putting the finishing touches on the follow-up to 12 rules for life. Uh, uh, and he'll, he'll be better and he'll be stronger, but it's, it's still going to be a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad the, I know he's speaking a lot about the way he's, changing his, his diet, anything that he can really just to get back. I know that he's doing the carnivorous diet. I actually went to – I didn't go to school with her, but uh, Michaela, I, we live in the same building in Montreal, actually, when I went to school huh. at, uh, at McGill University. And I don't think she was in that diet at that time, but um, I know that is certainly uh, helping him lift his spirits a lot. And I know you did a lot of tours with him. Uh, I'm curious to know, are there certain parts, cities, or certain parts around the world where you guys – get the most amount of love I guess when you guys were doing these speaking tours
0: yeah it was interesting because what we found was that it almost was reverse of what you would thought so if we were to go to a place that let's say was like a little more conservative in nature you'd think well that's where Jordan's fans are mostly or libertarian in nature that's where they're gonna like Dave the most those crowds were First off, every crowd that we had, every single one without exception was a, was a great crowd. We never had a bad crowd. I don't even like the idea of a bad crowd. You know, when I was doing stand-up, a lot of comics would be like, ah, it's a bad crowd tonight. And I'd be like, well, it's not really a bad crowd. You're just not a great comic. Like, <laughs> you got to take a great – you, you got to take a bad crowd and make them good. That's your yeah. job. So it's very yeah. rarely the crowd. But when I say that, it was like we just had explosive crowds wherever we went. Were, it was just a, a love fest. But you would have thought that the more conservative-leaning places is where we would have been loved the most. But actually, it was the reverse of that because it was the lefty places where they needed the message the most because the mm. people who would come were sort of like refugees. So I would make a lot of jokes about that, that this was like their secret meeting place, basically. So places that are really lefty in nature, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland. So that's you know sort of Pacific Northwest uh, kind of stuff. They were really rabid there. The crowd was really, really excited there. The shows we did in Florida were amazing. You know, then we bounced across the world, so we did a whole bunch in Australia. The Australian crowds were amazing. Uh, we did two shows in Stockholm, Sweden, that sold out in two minutes. We were only supposed to do wow. one show; it sold out literally in a minute. So they had to add another one. Then that one sold out in a minute. Um, you know, everywhere we went, it was it was just unbelievable. I mean, how cool! to think that, you know, what an 18-year-old in Canada is thinking is similar to what a 40-year-old woman in Texas is thinking and that's similar to what, you know, a 60-year-old in Sweden and, you know, three guys in Australia and just all and it, and it it had uh, it crossed ideological lines, you know, it wasn't really about politics, it crossed socioeconomic lines, there were people that had a lot of money, people that were poor. It, you know, it crossed everything because what he was talking about really was how do you fix yourself so that you can get this world back into some state of order? and mm. uh, clearly we we could use it these days.
1: No kidding, no kidding. I mean, it's a catch twenty two This is kind of the beauty uh, and the catch twenty two of the internet and information that is you know free for people to access and public for people to <laughs> access, and that the as as these algorithms become more powerful when people gravitate to a certain type of content, they're not going to be fed other kind of content, right? From Twitter to Facebook to YouTube. You know, I created a, a business account one day just as a, as, as an experiment. I was looking, poking around um, different sites around, you know, Fox and everything, and I would, you know, a week later, that's really the only content that I was being fed. Not that it's bad or good, it's just a interesting experiment that I went on. Um, but the beauty, of it, of course, is that there are these different worlds that people can access that I don't think would have really opened up uh, for, for people like yourself, people like Jordan Peterson. Uh, it's, it's really a beautiful thing in terms of how open people's minds can get in this kind of world.
0: Yeah, well, the basic bones of it are beautiful as you described, it, it's elegant and wonderful and masterful and so cool that we can all just fill ourselves up with so many different voices. We can think about things in a new way and, and you can be you whatever your passion is, you know what I mean? Like you could spend, I love watching old like 80s and 90s basketball games on YouTube mm. so that I can watch tons of those, you know, the Jordan years. That was the years. last dance, yeah. So, I believe it or not, I haven't seen it yet because I've been on this book tour. So, oh, so yeah, yeah, I just haven't had any time. But, but all of those years, those early 90s Bulls, and I just rewatched the 92 NBA Finals. That's that's the shrug, Oof. remember game one of yeah. uh, when he hits the six threes and you see Cliff Robinson crumble behind him. And I was a big Blazers fan because I always loved Clyde Drexler and he just mm. mangled Clyde. It was sad for me. But, um, but whatever you love, if, if you love games video games, if you love knitting, if you love unboxing, whatever freaking odd thing that you love, the internet can fill you up with all sorts of interesting things about that. And hopefully you don't become too obsessed with one thing and you have like a decent balance of a few different things. But that that plurality is actually wonderful. What I'm concerned about though is, is sort of what you're getting at, which is that we just have no idea how the algorithms are manipulating us. When when I go on YouTube on a, on a you know, a separate computer, like our work computer here that no one's searching Google stuff or YouTube stuff. That's very different than when I go on my personal computer, where I search basketball games, I'll search Star Wars things or whatever. We just don't know what we're being fed, when we're being fed it. And then when you add the political element to it, which is what you're talking about that, okay, you start watching this next thing, you know, they're feeding you more, 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 more. And then it's like, well, all right, well, one day, could they just turn it and start feeding you stuff to send you the other way? And it's like, who, Who's wagging the tail here and who's just following? And I don't think we have answers to that. And and that's the big concern about big tech, really.
1: Yeah, no kidding. They said that if you want to really know your partner, the old school way is to travel with them for a couple of months and see who they really yeah. are. The shortcut to that is to try to figure out a way to get to their YouTube homepage or their Netflix homepage, yeah. or their, especially their total homepage. You'll know very quickly who they really are and what it's they're funny, looking at. And,
0: uh, <laughs> you know, like most people, I've I've given my Netflix password to like my sister or whatever. And it's like, you know, if you don't have your own profiles and you look into someone else's profile, you can really learn a lot about just what they watch. Oh, you're watching an awful lot of British baking shows. That's interesting But you know, someone else is watching murder all day long that there's something interesting (laughs) there.
1: There is. There is. Yeah. Which is odd to me of how, you know, if you're fed all of the content that you like, you know, if you go to YouTube or Reddit, all these different sites, how can there be this so much hate and trolls that are running around? Like, how are they even finding the content if that's not the kind of content that they're interested in? Is Are they solely purposely going in there just to troll you and they're getting fed more content that way? Like, just don't watch I, the video, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, this is uh, – I've got some seriously dedicated haters and trolls and, and Reddit. Yeah, why leaders. is that?
1: Why is it you, Jordan Peterson, all these people? People either re- – like, they just love you guys. They admire you guys. Yeah. Or there seems to be this other direction. I don't know why that is.
0: You know, I think in a lot of ways, for for me and Jordan, but I can talk about it more specifically for me, you know, I'm someone that I had a political set of beliefs that I grew up with, and then I was very open about my evolution that took me in another direction. And one of the things that the left doesn't like is they don't like people who walk away. And what they really don't like is minorities that walk away because they need you to sort of stay in your bubble. So black people must think this, women must think this, even though women aren't a minority, but they're thought of as a minority. Mm-hmm. Um, gay people must think this they they really don't want to let you walk. So if you're one of those and you walk, they have to extract a very high price on you because then it's because what you're showing is they don't own you anymore. and they want to show ownership over you. and that that's a huge problem for them. So I think that's why probably, a bunch of us get a, get a whole bunch of hate. I think, you know, with Jordan specifically, it's that he was giving people the tools to live their life as they see fit. That is the most dangerous thing you can do to people that want to control you. Yeah. Jordan, all he wanted people to do was make responsible decisions for yourself. Fix your, what was the whole purpose? Sit up, stand up straight with your shoulders back, right? Clean your room. These are basic ideas that the that the concept really was fix your life so that when you wake up in the morning you have purpose you feel you feel that there's a reason for you to be here and then all of the other behaviors around you and the people you surround yourself they'll start working themselves out and i know the more i've incorporated that kind of stuff into my life the more that my life has actually been better well that message of personal responsibility that is seriously dangerous for people that want to control you someone that wants to control you they want to tell you how horrible the world is. None of it's your fault. There's all bad guys out there. The whole place is racist and bigoted and the rest of it. Because then you feel powerless. Then they can manipulate you however they want. But if you feel empowered and you, you feel that life is a challenge, I mean, I, you know, I write about this in my, in my book, but like whatever movie you like, like think of every movie ever. It's the hero who is, who's, is the guy who does the thing. And that's what they're trying to take away from you. Luke blew up the Death Star. Frodo took the ring back to Mount Doom. Like every Neo took the red pill and then fought the machines. Whatever whatever your movie is, doesn't matter. Harry Potter fought Voldemort. Like that's what you should aspire to be in life is like be the, the best character in the, in the movie that you're in. Um, it doesn't mean you get to control everything every minute or that everything's gonna be perfect every minute, but that's, that's, the, that's what human spirit can do. You know, and and what they're trying to do is say, no, 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 no. The whole system is so evil that you have no control over it. We'll just hand you everything. And that's how you create slaves, not free people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of control, we've had Andrew Yang on the show way back before he was, you know, the the Andrew Yang that we know today. And he was just we were at his New York headquarters and it was a complete startup. It was about five, 10 people in his office. No one knew him. He was the long shot guy. And lo and behold, as soon as he started to become more popular, what was interesting about Andrew was I actually saw him more on networks like Fox, more than Mm -hmm. MSNBC, because MSNBC didn't even know his name. They were calling him Kevin Yang, John Yang. They didn't put him in any of his election polls. I mean, how can this be happening when you guys are supposed to be on the same side, uh, but... Is it like punishment because Andrew Yang is going on these different networks that they can't agree with? You know, why is this happening? It's crazy.
0: Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, I can tell you this. Look, I go on Fox all the time. I'm in the midst of a book tour right now. I've done Fox almost every day, every single show. They let me say whatever I want. The shows are all live. Sometimes I agree with the host. Sometimes I disagree with the host. I've been on probably 50 of their show, 50 appearances, let's say, in the last, you know, two months, something like that. I've gotten zero invites from CNN, zero invites from MSNBC. There are positions that I hold. I'm pro-choice. That would be a position that you think maybe would be something that they would want to bring someone on to talk about on CNN or uh, MSNBC. Fox is the right-leaning conservative network. Most of them are pro-life, but they bring me on to talk about it. I'm not for regulating big tech. Tucker Carlson is. I go on his show and we discuss it. That's interesting. Uh, Andrew Yang... Who first off? Let me just say I've had I've had him in here. I think he's a really decent guy. I think he's got new new ideas and good ideas. I'm not sold on all of his ideas. I I, genu- I, I just fundamentally don't like the idea of UBI. I don't like the idea that the state would be just would be giving people stuff to just sort of eventually. First off, I don't even understand it economically because the more you give people stuff to spend money, well, now the price of everything will go up. And, and I discussed that a little bit with him. But but it's not just that, it's, it's the fundamental precept that if you give people stuff, you actually take away their incentive to work for themselves. That, that's just my, I just fundamentally believe that as a human. So I just have a disconnect with him on that. But that's fine. I think the reason the, the Democrats or the DNC or the MSNBCs of the world didn't put him on was because he had new ideas and they're not in the business of new ideas. Mm -hmm. Him getting those ideas out there were a threat. For Fox to put him on, well, the conservatives aren't gonna buy those ideas. But by the way, no conservative hated Andrew Yang. When I saw Andrew Yang getting hate, it was hate from the Bernie bros. I never once saw an assault of conservatives attacking Andrew Yang. They would say, you know, and I found this many, many times, even when I had him on and I looked at some of the comments, most of my audience, let's say my right-leaning audience, the Libertarians, uh, the libertarians hate UBI, right? Libertarians don't want the government giving you money. But they'd be like, you know, he's he's wrong on that. But he's obviously a nice guy and an interesting guy and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the left hated him. You know, mm. the, the Bernie bros hated him because he had new ideas. And, and they don't really want new ideas. They want ideas that can control you.
1: Yeah, it was hard to put a label on Andrew Yang. And whenever you can't really categorize someone, especially in publics, where it's like Democratic or Republican, which have very strong fundamental principles and, and, and you know and and things that you would understand them by I think people just go crazy. You know, Joe Rogan is similar like this. Like, how do you categorize a guy like Joe Rogan? It's impossible because he likes MMA. He he smokes pot. He does comedy. Uh, There's so many things about that, and I just don't think that's the way human brains are wired. They want simple things. It's why we love lists. We like making to-do lists. We just like those simple mythological ways of thinking. And it's I think I could put you in that category as well. You're really open, and you're you're able to talk about these diverse different topics. Uh, but I think you're doing something right because I think the, one of the best artworks, one of the best artists, they tend to be people where the audience or the public either absolutely love you or absolutely go the other way. <laughs> right? I think uh, Gustav, Gustave Eiffel, when he was building the Eiffel Tower... You know, after he built the uh, Statue of Liberty, or at least the insides of it, people hated it. People didn't understand what he was doing from the, you know, building this pointy thing because nothing like that really existed. And it's only after. Uh, he's passed away after it's built that it's appreciated for the art that it is and I um, and I just want to end out with that. Is I think you're doing something right I think you're putting a platform for people that are able to share their ideas openly talk about it whether you agree or not uh, and I think we everyone appreciates you well not everyone but I think the people that understand your message ah. and what you're trying to do uh, appreciate you um, so I want to end it off with this Dave I know you're you're on time here so We like to leave the audience with one actionable piece of advice uh, or action step that they can do right after they listen to this interview, something that they can do to build their confidence, to think more openly, to get started on their next project, whatever it might be to really help them go from zero to one. What is one small piece of advice uh, or actionable step that they can take today to really help them get there?
0: Well, if you really want to go from 0 to 1, I've got Peter Thiel's 0 to 1 right there. It's almost <laughs> within it's almost within reach and I would Great recommend book. reading yeah. that. And and if and obviously if you care about some of the things that we've discussed here, uh, my book Don't Burn This Book. This is exactly what it's about, but I would say actionable in your in your own life. I'll take a page out of Jordan Peterson's book here. Stop lying. Stop lying. And I don't mean that like you're lying all the time or anything like that. I don't mean you specifically, but all of us we have times in our life where you lie more, or you lie less, I, you know, and I'm not even talking about big lies. You know, sometimes someone will say to you, oh, did you see that movie? And you're like, yeah, I saw it. You, you don't even know why you lied, but you're just <laughs> like keeping the conversation going. And you're like, well, I didn't see it, you know, but, but you just do that. Jordan really, I think, pushed the right idea that if you tell the truth, you have no idea how that can reorganize uh, the chaos into something honest and real. But when you lie, even about something little, you're sending the world into chaos, and then that lie can then cause someone else to lie, and then someone else to lie, and someone else to lie. And I think what we need is a return to something that is true. So it's not easy, but I really, really try not to lie. So, The more that I've tried to do that, I think the more my life has come into place. Uh, You know, when I do these interviews, I I usually – we started pretty quickly, but I usually say to people, you're welcome to ask me anything you want, Um, and and I wouldn't lie about it. If I didn't know, if you had asked me something in the midst of this that I just did not know about, a policy that I did not know about. So, for example, actually, you brought up the the case around Harvard. I'm not 100% sure that they they won – I know Harvard won something. There was some court case that they won something. I would welcome anyone to Google it. But I didn't pretend that I knew more than I, than I know. And I think if you try to do that, that you can actually start resetting the world into a good spot. And if nothing else, you'll reset yourself into a good spot. Because we, we all know this. If we, when we're acting truthfully, things generally are better. When you're, when you're lying a lot, there's some other stuff going on.
1: Beautiful. Dave Rubin, everyone. I want to give a plug to your book, Don't Burn This Book. Uh, that's out on Amazon, everywhere you can You can get books these days. And obviously, check out the Rubin Report. Thanks so much, Dave, for coming on. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. And uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable and if it's something that a friend, a family member or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Chao.